0: to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Here along with my usual co-host, RG Seal. We apologize for getting out this podcast a little late this week. Our two schedules weren't exactly aligning. Also, you're going to notice a difference in my mic audio as we get into this. There's some technical issues, so bear with us for this one. Unfortunately, we have a lot to talk about on a Friday, and not much of it is good. We'll get to the sinking ship known as the Rockets shortly, but... Like many of you, we woke up to the news Friday that two former Astros, Jose Castillo and Luis Valbuena, died in a car accident in their home country of Venezuela last night. Castillo only played 15 games for the Astros, but the news about Valbuena hit Astros Nation pretty hard as we remember moments like this.
1: everybody home happy it's a miraculous finish for the Astros they win it 10 to 9 in the
0: bottom of the ninth one of a few wonderful moments Val Buena gave us uh, what did you think when you heard the news RG
1: well I'd actually heard it kind of late in the night California time so kind of when it was breaking I just happened to be on on Twitter and uh, I had I'd seen a report uh, on it it was after the Rockets had lost to Utah. And I I had seen the, actually it was Ben DuBose, our friend of the program, Ben DuBose had uh, tweeted about it. And I was, I was shocked as you probably were when you woke up to the news and, you know, he's somebody that like you played in the highlight from Bill Brown, you know, was instrumental for the two years that he was with the Astros. He, you know, was a big part of that 2015 playoff team. And uh, he was somebody that, you know, he struck out a lot. He's on base percentage and, you know, he, he didn't have the contact that we see now that the, the patients at the plate, uh, but he was always, he could be a very clutch hitter and he had some key hits and moments for the Astros. And you know, when he got hot and he, and streaky, he could carry a club. So, I mean, he had significant contribution to this club uh, in the Astros. And, you know, when he finally moved on, uh, you know, went to the angels organization, I mean, People in Houston felt good about his two years because, again, he played really good defense and, you know, was a a good power bat at the lower part of the lineup.
0: Yeah, let me just tell you why it it hit me hard. And, you know, he was a guy that I I think I loved in so many people. And you saw everybody from Julie Morales to Brian McTaggart, some of the Astros media tweeting about him. I I want to talk a little bit about what A.J. Hinch and Marwin Gonzalez and Colin McHugh had to say. But, you know, Luis Valbuena – in a time where it seemed like for years the Astros were irrelevant, they were awful, terrible. It was a bad team. All of a sudden, Luis Bob when it comes along in 2015, not only does that team bring winning, and Luis Bobuena was very much a part of that. 25 home runs. You know, he was so effervescent. And you know, we've had a lot of Astros over the years and personalities. Um, Besides, like, a Jose Lima, we've had a few of them, but he was a rare personality. The the backflip, the smile, the enthusiasm, you know, the dancing, whatever. He brought that it thing that I think fans loved about that 2015 season. And RG, to me, he deserves a lot of credit for the Astros winning in 2017 because he brought that ability to win back to the Astros. Uh, he was m- very much a part of that team, but he get, helped them get to the playoffs in 2015. And without that, you know, we don't know what Jose Altuve, Correa, Springer, and some of those guys in 2017 would have done without the experience that they got in 2015. So I, I think, in a way, it's part of the you know the Astros' journey to winning that World Series
1: anytime you win a World Series and the Astros did in 2017, you kind of think back upon the players who passed through that organization. And, and like you said, Luis Valbuena was a component of the 2015 playoff team. The Astros finally got back to the playoffs. They, they got that taste of, of getting oh so close. They beat the Yankees in the, the wildcard game. And then in the uh, divisional round, uh, they they lost to the Kansas City Royals in that classic five game series. But, uh, you know, again, it just is really kind of tragic what happened with Luis Valbuena. You know, like you said, a very effervescent personality, uh, helped out in the uh, clubhouse and, you know, was always really somebody who, you know, gave his most to a team and effort and ability and uh, he be sorely missed.
0: Yeah. And and sadly, early reports, you know, look like it was an accident. There's also reports, as we're speaking, uh, the Mexican newspaper El Universal is reporting that the rock is thought that it was put in the road that caused the accident. They thought, oh, just a rock could just, you know, accidentally come in the road. It's thought to have been purposely placed there in hopes that it would lead to an accident and allow sort of this gang, I guess, uh, orchestrating a trap to rob the vehicle's occupant, Simon and Castillo. So, you know, that that's going to continue. But if it is, in a way, Um, I guess murder. I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's even more tragic, I think, in a a way as just opposed to just an accident. But I just want to go through what some of the players and and manager AJ Hinch had to say. And Hinch says, uh, I will miss Luis's banter, smile, genuine love for his teammates. And of course the backflips. Uh, He was a beloved person, whether he was on our team or across the field, my thoughts and prayers are with his family and the lucky ones, who could call him a teammate or a friend, Marwin Gonzalez's Instagram uh, translated over to English, basically said, uh, quote, you left this world without an enemy because of your principles, your kindness, and your charisma would not let you have it. And then Colin McHugh uh, says, absolutely devastated by the news of Luis's passing. He was such a huge piece of our success story with the Astros. But more than that, he was a husband, father, teammate, and friend, Rest easy, brother. So some incredible words by everybody in the Houston Astros organization. Jeff Luno chimed in as well. But, uh, you know, it's been a sad week, RG, because, you know, that comes directly on the heels of Houston's uh, number one, I guess, celebrity sports fan, George Bush, in his passing, huh?
1: Well, that's just it. I also want to say about the passing of the 41st president, George Herbert Walker Bush, that He was somebody that kind of we do a Houston sports talk show, and I almost feel like this would have been a guy who would have been a typical listener to our show. Why? Because he loves Houston sports. He always loved Houston sports was you saw him at Astros games sitting behind home plate and the relationships he established there throughout the years with the players and the ownership of the Astros. And then you also would see him, of course, when, you know, the Texans began and you'd see up in the owner's box with Bob McNair, you'd see uh, the former president there. And, of course, at Rockets games, I mean, this guy lived and breathed Houston sports. I mean, he loved Houston sports. And so, you know, he was somebody that was, of course, a national president. So no matter what your political affiliation might be. Uh, and what your feelings might be about the former president. He was somebody that we could relate to because he was somebody that attended Houston sports events and had a passion and the same adoration for players that
0: we do. And of course, uh, the ubiquitous shot that they would always show of his wife, Barbara, uh, in the front row of the Astros games, filling out her box score, going along with the Astros games, that was, that was part of it. I remember, uh, you know, I'm a Mizzou grad. We had a Mizzou alumni function where we went to uh, George Bush's office here in Houston uh, over in the Memorial area. And Bill Brown, who's also a Mizzou alum, was with me with that. And we went over there. I, I'm trying to remember this is probably a couple of years ago now. And, you know, it, it wasn't a tremendous shock because, you know, his health and I, and you just kind of we were wondering when it was going to happen, because while we were over at his office and they were giving us the tour, they said there was a scare within the previous day or two and they were in the mode that, you know, they were going to have to start dealing with, uh, you know, maybe his passing at that time. So, and then of course with Barbara's passing, you know, it wasn't a surprise with George Bush, but obviously heartfelt sentiments throughout um, the world, throughout uh, politics. Uh, This was a guy that, you know, wasn't just somebody that, you know, um, was, I, you know as ex president but you know he made so many friends along the way and you know we saw guys like Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell RG were were at the ser- funeral ceremony I mean we saw that at the church on uh, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday so uh yeah he he was a guy that sort of uh crossed paths among not only politics but all across the Houston sports arena as well
1: Yeah I mean he definitely you know crossed over and uh was able to again you know with when we're talking about George Herbert Walker Bush here, he's somebody that was able to kind of like bridge the aisle as far as with Houston sports and, 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 and that's concerned. Uh, you know, he was able to have diplomacy on the world stage. We saw so many times reminded upon his passing about when the Berlin wall fell and the Eastern Bloc fell. And all of a sudden the Soviet union was gone and how his steady hand and his foreign diplomacy kind of helped with that effort in that endeavor. And he, brought the, remember he had the G8 summit back in Houston. And, you know, so there was always like, Houston was always on the national stage with, or international stage with uh, George Bush. And even when we watched sports and we would see that, like you said, super fan, number one fan. So he, he kind of was the ambassador for Houston too, as well. And that carried over to the sporting teams and we're sports fans. That's why we host this sports show. And, uh, yeah, we, we live and die with Houston sports teams. And again, that's something that the president, you know, was always somebody who was, uh, again, an ambassador to the Houston sports teams, a number one fan and always, you know, highly visible at prominent Houston sporting events. And in fact, uh, it was a reminder this past week when the Astros won that famous game five uh, that went into extra innings with Alex Bregman hit and it kind of catapulted them back to Los Angeles with a three, two lead who had thrown out the first pitch in that game, you know, who had been there. It was, uh, you know, the former president.
0: I'm trying to remember, you might remember this, you know, the George R. Brown uh, Convention Center became famous at that convention, the Republican Convention back, I believe it was in 88 or 92, which Bush helped bring to Houston, right? 92, right. Yeah, and and so was, was the convention center, was that built as part of the deal where they brought that convention here. I can't remember if that's the case or not.
1: I mean, obviously that would have been a part of it because they were trying to bring conventions in. I don't know what it also had to do with, you know, also trying to keep, you know, this sports franchises around like, uh, you know, Bud Adams about that might've been an enticing thing to do. Yeah.
0: The only reason I bring it up is because, you know, I, I believe that might've had something to do with it. And if that's the case, you know that's why Minute Maid is where it is because Minute Maid. I think that the proximity to the George Bush Convention Center has probably played a major role in where they decided to locate the baseball park.
1: And also, they have the uh, you know right by the the convention center is the uh, Rockets' new arena, the Toyota Toyota Center. Exactly or new arena. It's been around for many years now, but uh, we still think of it as a new arena. Those of us who went to the uh, Summit slash Compact Center.
0: Exactly, exactly, and and uh, you know I'm mentioning. Going back to Luis Valbuena, Venezuelan, you know the Venezuelan connection with the Astros. You know you've got Jose Altuve, uh, Marwin Gonzalez, who looks like he might be gone, but the Astros have added back another Venezuelan. RG, what did you think about the addition of the catcher Robinson Chirinos?
1: It's an adequate pickup this offseason. Uh, he's a a guy that will offer improved offense uh, for the Astros at that position you know, he'll give some them some some pop at the bottom of the order. Jeff Luno said he's content with the Astros catching situation right now with Stasi and Chirinos to go into the next season. But, you know, you still have to feel like are the Astros if, if the Marlins decide to unload uh, JT Realmuto? I mean, he's been discussed maybe possibly going to the Mets. The Astros have been in the mix. Yes, I think they would be after him if there's somebody that you know, a catching a catcher out there on the free agent market. I I mean, I know, I know they just signed one or somebody available via trade because really, if you look at, I mean, he's a 34 year old catcher. His, his defensive metrics have gone down. He basically, you know, is was one of the bottom as far as pitch framing. Uh, Max Stassi is actually one of the better at that. Um, And then, you know, throwing out runners last year. Jeff Bannister, his former manager, said there were many reasons for that. And he's still a good defensive catcher. But obviously he's mid-30s and and he caught the most games that he's caught in his career here in the past season. So I I would just think that if you really want to upgrade the catcher position, that this probably isn't the last move the Astros are going to make.
0: Yeah, he's the same age as Brian McCann. To me, it's very – horizontal move the Astros still need to make a vertical move at catcher I assume they're they're not done I would think they're still probably working on something Chris Herman was the guy that I think they might have wanted to bring in they just couldn't make a deal with him uh long story but yeah Chris Herman uh rule five guy that I think the Astros really wanted to have around but uh RG the other thing that's uh happened this week is uh Paul Goldschmidt and Nathan Uvaldi, are they're on both off the board for the Astros or is it evil? I mean, I always forget how to pronounce his name.
1: Nathan Evaldi, right. From the, um, Boston Red Sox there. I mean, how can you forget the guy like pretty much blew away the Astros in the postseason? I'm trying to forget. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's a good idea. Right. Um, yeah, I you know, everybody was, the tea leaves were all saying that, you know, he really wanted to go back to Boston. Look what he, all he did. Look what he meant to that clubhouse. Look what he meant to their World Series team. Would you really want somebody like that to leave and go to potentially the Yankees or the Astros that are your competitors? So Boston was going to try to do everything possible to bring him back. And, you know, the fact that he was already comfortable there and, and, and likes the situation, won a world championship, you know, I, I kind of, that, you know the the fact that that happened is, isn't really a surprise, even if he is from the Houston area. And then Paul Goldschmidt, like you said, another Houston area uh, native, and he ended up getting traded to St. Louis. I think it's a really good trade for St. Louis. Uh, that's kind of the bat that they've been missing from their lineup. I mean, they do have a good good hitters in their lineup. Not not taking anything away from like a Matt Carpenter per se, uh, you know. But uh, he gives them that big stick that they can have in their their lineup, and uh, you know. I think that that will really help them out over the next year. And they they gave up some prospects to the Arizona Diamondbacks. But with one year remaining on the contract, they really didn't have to give up like a, a heavy load that you would have to if he had he was under club control for two or three years. And the Cardinals really feel in that situation that they can resign him again, that uh, they've done this before with Matt Holliday, They did it with Mark McGuire. They did it with Jim Edmonds. Trade for a guy, you know, in the final year of his contract. He'll come out to St. Louis. He'll love the atmosphere out there, and he'll sign a long-term deal. The only thing you have to wonder with Paul Goldschmidt, there was a part of last season, at the beginning of last season, when he was really struggling and scuffling. He's 31 years old, and that was one of the things with the Astros. I mean, he would he's a great hitter. He's one of the, the best hitters in all of baseball, but you wonder, when's the downward slide going to come? And if you sign him to a long-term deal and the Astros would have to be thinking if they acquired him, okay, do we sign him for his 32 through 36, 37 years, you know, because we're going to have to give a prospect or, or do whatever to acquire this guy. And, and is that really our biggest need? Because again, Jeff Luno uh, addressed at the press conference when introducing uh, the new free agent acquisition, uh, uh, Robert Contrano the catcher. He said that, you know, the Astros really right now looking for more starting pitching uh probably a reliever and and then you know probably another bat so basically yeah he's looking to add pitching right now and so while it would have been great getting paul goldschmidt length in the lineup the offense needs to be better than it was last season right now the target the astros main intent is to acquire more pitching
0: a couple other things i thought that Lunau said that were, were interesting in the past week or uh, i think it was on line so maybe it was a little uh, before this past week, but he said Forrest Whitley, uh, that guy is going to be in Houston by September 1st, unless there's a major setback. Uh, so he, he didn't take away the idea that he could be starting the year with the Astros. I still wouldn't guess he would start the year with the Astros, but he didn't set that aside. He also said that you know, there, there's no emphasis on the Astros to find a left-handed pitcher for the starting rotation. He said if there's maybe two equal guys, then, you know, they might lean towards the lefty. But that's not a requisite for, you know, their rotation this year. So that was interesting, I thought. Uh, RG, Brian McTaggart threw out three outfielders the Astros could sign as free agents. Uh, McTaggart, of course, friend of the show, MLB.com. Do you like any of these three names? He threw out Andrew McCutcheon, A.J. Pollock, and Michael Brantley.
1: Well, I'll first address this and then get back to your other things that Luno said. Uh, I would like uh, Michael Brantley if he fits into it. Uh, the best because he's a left-handed batter and you, uh, to me this team is very heavily right-handed when you have uh the guys here that we're talking about like carlos correa jose altuve yuli goriel alex bregman all right-handed hitters so i mean it'd be nice to put another left-handed stick in there and uh he's somebody that can he can play actually he said that he'd be amenable to playing first base well guess what the astros have talked about you know They maybe would have Yuli Gurriel move around. He could DH, He play first base. So Brantley could play outfield, but also fit in other places there. And then the the two other guys that you mentioned, I like Andrew McCutcheon. Look, former MVP, Pirates, great guy. But, I mean, he's somebody that's just – he seems to be on the downward, again, uh, downward slope of his career. You know, I wouldn't – I wouldn't have a problem getting him, but it would have to be kind of the right salary. I just think he'll have better offers elsewhere. And A.J. Pollock wants a multi-year deal. And I'd be really kind of afraid of that one. Not that he's not, a, again, a great player defensive or anything, but he's somebody that gets injured every single season. And so it's just, I I don't, you know, I'm, I'm figuring he's going to get a multi-year deal. And I just don't like tying up money to a guy that's had all these different injury problems throughout his career. Because, you know, you could say once or twice these things happen. But when it's a continual recurrent thing, I'd be afraid of like penciling in that guy, you know, for a multi-year deal. But um, I also wanted to just get back to what you had said about Luno and uh, what he had mentioned on AstroLine. And, you know, Force Whitley, this is why they don't want to part with him in a deal. He, he is somebody that's the top pitching prospect potentially in all of baseball. He's somebody that can help out the Astros this upcoming season and then be under club control for, you know, the next five, six years. So, I mean, that's, that's what everybody wants in baseball. So if he can be that dominant starter that comes up, you know, in August, September, October, he can also be somebody that, you know, swings between at least initially called up here. Maybe they want to monitor his innings, but he's a guy that could, you know, come out of the pen too potentially in the postseason as that is as, as that person, you know, that that kind of wild card. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's that's definitely I, I think that, you know, they still need to sign another a starting pitcher, whether that's Charlie Morton, bring him back, you know, or just going out via trade and getting somebody and to go along with uh, Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole. But, you know, I I do think that, you know, that Forrest Whitley is going to be a a big part of the Astros' plans this upcoming season.
0: Any other Astros notes? Have you heard any rumors that you want to throw out there before we move on or? That For fun,
1: I, I guess the other thing too that you had mentioned, as far as sort of a left-handed starter, that Luno doesn't have a preference there. I'd still like to see a left-handed starter, if at all possible, because we saw last year. I mean, who are your who are your competitors? Who are you going up against? And it's like the Red Sox won a championship. Well, who did they have kind of problems with? And uh, it was with member in the World Series. It was Rich Hill. Who, who was it during the regular season? They had problems with a Jay Happ you know so so sometimes i mean it's good i mean the astros have the power right-handed arms and Forrest whitley will be another one of those and i know that they look at spin rate and you know righties and lefties can be it just depends on how the ball comes out of the hand and the spin rate and and how you you know they they look at all the different analytics behind the pitchers that they choose but it, uh, to me just the old-fashioned, hey, you know, the way that it comes out of the hand from the left side versus the right side. I mean, it's just like, I'd like to have another left-hander, a southpaw in the rotation, as well as in the bullpen. So, like, all things being
0: equal, what Luno said, I'd I'd lean towards the left-hander. Also, Luno was saying about Whitley, was there a concern, uh, he was asked, that he hadn't gone 100 innings in the minor leagues yet? And he said, no, not really, because he's built like a Clemens or Nolan Ryan or something like that, so he's not worried about the stress on his arm uh, this year. So that that was interesting. Uh, I am I'm worried about his, the stress. I mean, he's definitely had some issues like injury issues over the last year. So yeah, it's it's a concern for me. But uh, you know, uh, next up, uh, I'm going to leave this up to you. RG De- Dealer's Choice. Do you want to talk about the Rockets uh, and, and that crap show, or do you want to talk about the Texans and everything's? you know, coming up roses and, and, uh, well, maybe bucks. we
1: should end on a high note. So maybe if you do want to talk about the rockets, get it out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like trying to break a fever.
0: You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's, I mean, you know, I, last week we were crapping on them and then they ha- had two wins blowouts, but they blew out the Spurs, which it turns out maybe a lot of people are going to blow out the Spurs and they blew out the bulls, which, you know, obviously everybody's going to blow out the bulls this year. And then their coach got fired. So uh, here's the deal. They're not just losing. They're losing with wide margins. I mean, it, it is not good right now. Eric Gordon said after the Jazz loss, which was just awful. He said, I- I'm just not having fun, man. This sucks. Even the times where I have good games, we're just not using some guys the right way. Are we going to make the right sacrifices? Do we have the right attitude That's what Eric Gordon had to say. I I feel like it's one of those deals where the wheels are starting to come off the truck a little bit. And the biggest concern for me, RG, when I look at the Rocket situation, Chris Paul is having his worst year, uh, maybe forever. I mean, this is one of the worst years Chris Paul is having. And we were worried about, you know, maybe the last two years of the contract. Now I'm worried about the whole contract. I'm worried about four years $160 160 million dollars, because Chris Paul, uh, the numbers are telling you that things are not good with Chris Paul right now, and and, and that's a huge concern.
1: Well, it is, and, and that was one of the things when the uh, excuse me when the Rockets were, uh, you know, they had pretty much all assured Chris Paul when he came over to the team that they would give him that extension, and you know, or that they had talked about that. We pretty much figured that Chris Paul was going to get that extension and the big contract. And he did, and deservedly so, but you are paying for a guy that's in his mid 30s and has an injury history. So, this, and now, yeah, you always figured, well, at least he'll be able to have the basketball skills and play at, you know, his MVP caliber, all star level. And he hasn't really so far this season. He struggled with his shot. But then again, you know, this isn't just, you can't blame just one player on this team. I mean, this is a collective effort. And what you said about Eric Gordon, that really gets back to the coaching staff and the front office, how you use guys. Why are you using, you know, why are they structuring the rotation this way? Why are certain guys playing? So then it gets back to Mike D'Antoni. Then it gets back to Daryl Morey for roster construction. How could you leave this team, you know, with such a, you know, a weak bench? I mean, they continually get outscored, outplayed with their bench players. And of course, they sign Carmelo Anthony and, and he's been released. So you can't even like point your finger at him now. He's or not been released, he's going to get traded and uh, let go from the Rockets, but that experiment didn't work. So, I mean, it's just, unfortunately, it's it's like the Murphy's Law here for the Rockets at the start of this season. It's just like everything that could possibly go wrong is going wrong. And there's a real chance now that this team, you know, if they can't get the ship righted here soon, I mean, they might miss the playoffs because you fall behind in the Western Conference and you're clawing for that seventh and eighth position. And even if you do get in the, in the playoffs, if you're in the eighth seed, you're playing Golden State in the first round. So I mean, I mean, it behooves the Rockets to like they've got to be able to do something and they keep saying, oh, we'll get it figured out. And I heard Chris Paul say, oh, if it's the best of seven series, I still don't think anybody can beat us in four games. Well, after that Utah game, uh, there'll be a lot of people that disagree with that. So uh, the Rockets are an absolute mess right now. And I almost just, you know, you, you almost need to have some kind of shakeup at this point on the roster Just to, you know, see if a new mix will work, you know, see if something can happen where Daryl Morey can bring in somebody to kind of uh, jumpstart this season. Because, I mean, the Rockets were going for it all this year. That's that's the whole reason why you heard about it. You know, you only have Chris Paul, and James Harden, you know. Like you said, Chris Paul maybe you know in, on the downside of his career right now, but I mean he's still technically like in his prime years, and James Harden is too. You want to be able to build around this, and they got so close to a championship. Yeah, yeah,
0: but what, what you're saying right there is what I have you know a, a worry about is that you know I, I don't think it's about bringing in somebody else that's going to shake it up. I mean, yeah, if you can get a superstar, but uh, yeah, the superstar that was going to get dealt this year likely was Jimmy Butler, and that's that's over with. Uh, so I, I don't think a role player comes in and changes everything.
1: Well, I, I give you one I give you one player that might because he was on the team last year. And it's if Tr- Trevor Ariza is, uh you know, the sun's decide to part with him and because of that contract and the way their season's going. I'd bring back Trevor Ariza because uh, another thing is James Ennis is really a player that should be coming off a bench. He's a guy that should be 15 minutes in a game. Don't you agree? He shouldn't be in there starting playing 35, 40 minutes. He's, he's not Trevor Ariza. Now, you bring back Trevor Ariza and the comfort, the chemistry that the team had together, you'd have basically the the same starting lineup again, right? You'd have Trevor Ariza, P.J. Tucker, Clint Capella, and, of course, the two superstars, Harden and uh, CP3. And then you could have, like, Ennis coming off the bench, and you could have, you know— uh, Nene coming off the bench and then you'd still have like a Gary Clark you could bring off or you know a Daniel House, however you want to do it and they you know but to me that's the type of player that they need remember Trevor Ariza I mean he played 30 40 minutes a game I mean he was always a, a real he was a, again an unsung hero and that's just the type of guy that maybe the-
0: I'm just going to go back to Chris Paul and James Harden need to be the superstars and Chris Paul hasn't and James Harden to me he, he hasn't either. He's turning the ball over. Like, he just – like, he usually doesn't care. He literally looks like he doesn't care as far as turnover. I,
1: I wouldn't say that. You blame James Harden for everything. I'm surprised you're not blaming him for climate change right now.
0: Well, you know, I saw he was uh, – you know, he, he was using a gas guzzler the other day when he was pulling out of the Toyota Center. So, yeah, that's probably it, – it's just that, you know, th- this team gets off to bad starts, and, and that comes down to – like James Harden, he doesn't score early in the games, and 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 they need him to score. They need him to start showing up to start games. Not you can't wait till the. The reason why the te- the Rockets were so successful last year is they would get on top early and kind of sit on you, and and then you can do that dribble, dribble, dribble at the top of the key for twenty two seconds, and that'll frustrate another team who wants to get up and down the court and are trying to get back in the game or trying to take the lead, and it wears down another team a little bit, both mentally and physically. And the problem is they're not getting off to these starts, and, and James Harden is getting off to bad starts nearly every game. It, it so much reminds me, and I think I said this, uh, the last show of Tracy McGrady and, and Yao Ming and, and those years with, uh, Van Gundy where they would get off to these just miserable starts, and every, every time. I want to counter that. Just
1: that, that gets back again to just being able to trust the guys around you. You can, like last year, you could he could give the ball to Trevor Reza and Trevor Reza in a certain spot would be able to sink a three. And so it's just like if Chris Paul's not shooting well, which he hasn't this season, he's had those rare games that he's been able to score and shoot well. Uh, we've already seen what Carmelo Anthony did from, you know, and he's not in the lineup anymore. They had Michael Carter Williams out there for a lot of the season. Uh, you have guys like James Ennis. And I mean, the Rockets have been struggling. Remember, and Eric Gordon was in a tremendous shooting slump until recently. I mean, so you have all these guys shooting terribly, at least last year, even Ryan Anderson. Remember he was in the lineup at the beginning part of the year and he's a great offensive player. He just wasn't a fit because of his defense and he wasn't a fit because of the way the Rockets do things and the opponents they were matching, but he could score. He could be somebody that you give the ball to and James Harden would be. It. So then everything falls on James Harden to do it all. He-
0: but, but look at the starting lineup. Let's go to the starting lineup. because that's what I'm talking about. PJ Tucker He's been shooting the ball tremendously from three last couple of games. He struggled a little bit the last couple of games, but they were all struggling to begin the season. Well, no, PJ Tucker was shooting the ball. Well, that's, that is not correct. He's been, he's been over. I'm talking about like Eric Gordon, right? He was struggling. Chris Paul struggling, but, but yeah, yeah. And that's, and you just said his name, Chris Paul, that guy needs to get and that, going. And
1: that's a big thing. And that's why, I mean, if, if, if your are superstars on doing that, that more falls on James Harden's shoulders, and, of course, he's an offensive player. So, I mean, it's just like in the turnovers. And he's also playing the most minutes. So, I mean, every single day, I mean, that's a grind. you got to be able to do that. You've talked about that before. Give the guy some minutes off. Give him a break. Give him some rest. But because the bench has been so terrible, he's having to play all these. I'm just saying that, yes, Harden's culpable, too, in energy. But you're saying come out with all this energy and exert yourself. Well, the guy's got to play 46, 45
0: minutes. No, 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 no. He's, 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 no. Harden's playing 36 minutes a game. I mean, he's. it's not like he's – He's no, he's had to play some extra minutes in games where he's got over 40 minutes, Man. and that's because they went
1: into overtime. I can't verify this, but isn't he one of the leaders in the NBA again in minutes played? Uh, he was probably close to the top. I don't think he's leading the NBA in minutes played. But Yeah, well, I'm just saying he's close to the top. I'm just saying that there's been – but he's he's – look, he's asked to do a lot. He's the distributor. He's the offensive scoring machine, uh, you know, a, a previous MVP. I'm saying that Harden also is at fault. You're right. He's, he's somebody that's contributing to this. I mean, everybody is the Mike D'Antoni and the coaching staff. You can't just point a finger at oh, this, this person or this, you know, this, no, I mean, when you're this bad, when you're this much of a disappointment, the front office, the coaching staff, star players, you know the whole team. They have to say we're all at fault. We're all in this together, and there's no. You know, you you, you just have to say. I mean, it's uh, they're all playing terribly. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't. I
0: don't. Well, I don't think everybody because look, Clint Capella, he's averaging 17 points a game. This is his career high. He's jumped four points this year. Uh, he's blocking shots left and right. He's been tremendous over the last couple of weeks. I think Capella's doing everything that he can defensively, but. The bigger issue is, and they haven't got this squared away since Benzelik has been hired back, and I don't know if he's doing every game now, but I, th- I think he should be at every game now. But the defense is not rotating like it was. It's not picking; they're not picking up guys like they were. like Capella picks up guys, but there's some other issues on the rotation. You know, part of that is that it's taken them a while to get guys in the lineup again. They missed them in preseason. They missed him in the regular season. Part of that is, man, I, you know, I've watched James Harden for years now, and we could talk about you know the, the defense for years, but I've never seen it, it's it, this many times in this many games where guys just go around him like he just doesn't, he refuses to get in front of guys, and then he does one of his reach arounds and tries to get a steal. But if he misses the steal, which he does most of the time, then it's a layup. And 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 when you just let a guy go past you. Even if the guy doesn't score and other guys help out and rotate, somebody's going to be open, wide open for a jump shot. And, and that's part of the bigger issue. I, yeah, it's not just James Harden. It, it's not just Chris Paul. There other guys, too. But those two guys, I'm telling you, it's it's going to come down to those two guys doing what they're supposed to do and be the superstars. And you're paying them a ton of money to do a lot of stuff for this team. And Chris Paul is supposed to be there to take the minutes Away from James Harden and to take the pressure of dribbling and being the guy, the main ball handler for a lot of the games, it should be fifty-fifty between those two guys. But if Chris Paul can't stay healthy and if Chris Paul can't play well, it's a big issue.
1: You're right. I mean, those two superstars are going to have to play better, and then so I mean, but uh, you, I, I will admit, yeah, Clint Capella, he's been he's been great to start the season, and like you said, PJ Tucker's been shooting better. But they still need some other depth on this club. They still need to go out and get guys that Mike D'Antoni is comfortable running out there because all of a sudden, you know, Gary Clark, we were talking about him as this next great player with the Rockets, and he did get a contract this past week, a three-year deal. So congrats to him. And I still think that he will be useful, but he's a rookie and, you know, he disappeared from the the rotation and now Daniel House is in the rotation. So, I mean, Mike D'Antoni and the Rockets and Daryl Morey, they're going to have to go out and get somebody to to come. In, and at least if it's somebody that come in and start and then you can move like a James Dennis off the bench then that strikes into your bench to, along with Eric Gordon still coming off the bench you know I don't know what the Rockets have out there I'm sure that you know Daryl Morey this has to be frustrating him because you came into this again you know a, gonna win a championship this season that was what everything was about and right now you're, you're not even gonna make the playoffs how disappointing
0: is that yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna pop in a breath bit right now A a palate cleanser, so to speak, and 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 the palate cleanser comes in the way of your hottest team in the NFL, the Houston Texans. Uh, Let's see, according to Football Outsiders, RG, the Texans playoff odds, they have a ninety three point seven percent chance to win the AFC South. It's almost a done deal. You know, if they can pick this one up, this game on Sunday against the Colts, it's over with in the AFC South. I believe it probably is over with regardless, but mathematically there's other teams alive, but they have a 32% chance. So it's not a huge chance. It's not over 50%, but a 32% chance for a first round buy. So that's still in play. You know, there's, it's, it's a, something that they could absolutely use. And maybe the city gets a little bit more excited because you get to skip around to the playoffs. Wouldn't that be something? And then they've got a 50% chance for the three seed. That's the one that's the most likely obviously. But if they get the three seed, you know, you, you probably don't have to face the Chargers, which would be maybe the scariest team for the Texans to face in the first round, assuming that they win the AFC South. Uh, but I mean, it, it, it looks very good right now for the Texans. And, you know, we, we talked about it over on Locked on Texans, RG. Bill O'Brien might just be the favorite for NFL coach of the year. Who saw that coming?
1: Well, not after an 0-3 start, but I mean, you have to credit him for what the Texans have been able to do and pulling off, uh, you know, nine straight wins. And uh, I don't know what you think about this upcoming uh, matchup with the Indianapolis Colts, but to me, this is a, a big one because Andrew Luck, until last week when he finally kind of came back down to earth against a, a really good Jaguars defense at home, I mean, I know they got, a, you know, obliterated pretty much on uh, Monday Night Football by Derek, or excuse me, Thursday Night Football by Derek Henry and the Titans here recently. But, uh, you know, he's somebody that the Texans, I mean, they're going to be facing a legit top tier quarterback. And so they'll be able to see defensively, you know, remember in their first meeting, luck was very accurate, making a lot of great throws, putting the Colts in a position to win. And the Texans, they got that win in overtime because of the Frank Reich decision. And I, I just want to see, because they're going to be going, if you get into the playoffs, remember, who are you going to be facing? I mean, you can talk about the seeds and all that, every all that you want, but you're going to be facing most likely a Patrick Mahomes, a Ben Roethlisberger, or a Tom Brady. And then maybe you might have to face like a Lamar Alexander or a Phillip Rivers. I mean, all really good quarterbacks. So you're not going to be facing, you know, the the, the Blaine Gabberts and the, uh, you know, uh Blake Bortles and uh, you know guys like that you're going to be facing the top tier quarterbacks and so hopefully with the defense playing much better you know uh, the defensive line the secondary uh, you know Justin Reed just uh, is amazing to watch week after week JJ Watt having this MVP caliber season on the defensive side again which has been great to watch Um, you know uh, getting Cunningham back and, and what he can do so it's just like you know to me, that's what's going to be interesting to watch. And of course, you know, the offense and seeing what, what, uh, what they can do to put points on the board and control the game. But. And that's why you have to get back to the coaching staff. They they realize they you know they went back to the drawing board. 0 and three, and they squeaked out some some games that they were able to win, and it kind of set them on a you know a winning streak. And and then the NFL, I mean, you get more confidence and week to week, and the chemistry grows. That's what you see with championship caliber teams. So this Texans team can be a real threat, and if they can beat Indianapolis, and then you know uh, go and and. That, that gives them the AFC South, so then they're in the playoffs. So then it just is a matter of seeding.
0: The other thing that uh, happened this week that might help them a lot is the return of Deontay Foreman, and I don't know if he's going to play on Sunday, and I don't know when they might activate him, but he's now on the 53-man roster. RG, the big thing about that, to me, the biggest thing, and, and, and my big concern about the the Texans outside, of course everybody's a little bit concerned about cornerbacks against some of the better quarterbacks In the NFL, the Texans cornerbacks, obviously, not the greatest in the world. T.Y. Hilton this week is going to be scary. Hopefully, he twists his ankle. It's a little minor minor thing, but enough to miss the game. But here's the deal. Deontay Foreman helps you on short yardage. The Texans have been awful on short yardage, both offensively and defensively this season. They've been bad on short yardage for a couple of years now. Deontay Foreman can help there. I mean, I, I think OB was... Maybe hesitant to reactivate him, even though uh, Deontay, I, I, I was hearing stuff that maybe he wanted to be back a little bit earlier than he was. Uh, he was worried that Deontay wasn't quite in shape. If he's a little fat, maybe that's good because they need somebody with some weight to push on those third and fourth and ones.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I That's what I, I really want to be able to see what Deontay Foreman can do when he gets back into the lineup. Because, I mean, the look – also, when you're thinking about the playoffs, this is why, I mean, the Texans, even though people are, oh, it's the Texans and roll their eyes and uh, what have you done for me lately? I mean, they have one nine in a row, but people will still say, well, yeah, but until they can beat those really good teams in January, but they do have the getting Lamar Miller to play like he's playing and with what he can do, I, I mean, to me, that's, that's a huge deal. Um because of the running game, as we know in January uh when you're playing in the playoffs, and it can also give them longer possession times and keep opposing quarterbacks off the field. So if you have a good running game, and that's what Bill O'Brien's trying to do here with the ball control offense and possession and utilize also Uh, Deshaun Watson's strength, but be able to run the ball, especially in cold climates, because you're you're looking at possibly playing in New England, possibly playing in Pittsburgh, possibly playing in Kansas City. So having a good running game, let's say if it's a windy day or snowy or rainy or uh, those kind of you know, especially in January, it really helps. And that's where Deontay Foreman can be that guy. I I much prefer him, you know, backing up Lamar Miller, you know, than an Alfred Blue, even though Alfred Blue's done a a yeoman's job and and he's a nice running back to have on the roster. I just feel like Deontay Foreman showed us flashes. And of course, being a Texas guy, I mean, I was like looking, seeing these Texas running backs succeed in the NFL. But, you know, He's somebody that showed last season just kind of like, you know, some real explosive qualities. So I, I'm hoping that he's back from the injury and then he can contribute to the Texans and strengthen that running game.
0: If you want more Texans coverage, just go to LockedOnTexans.com, my daily podcast over on the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, Four million downloads or listens, I think, per month right now on the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, we're the fastest growing and really the only daily uh, sports podcast network, uh, your team every day, go check us out. Um, Brian Patterson helps me out, but we got, you know, it's just not just Brian. It's a a bunch of people. We get guests. We get people in the lockdown podcast network as our crossovers each week, previewing upcoming games and, and, and of course, uh, my friend, Andy Rio comes on with us. Who's been covering fantasy sports for 20 years and just knows his NFL backwards and forwards. He's like an encyclopedia. If I don't know something, i go to him. So he comes on once a week, our crossover show once a week. Uh, this week we had a friend of Houston sports talk and locked on Texans, Brian McDonald, who produces the triple threat over on sports radio, Six Ten, as well as he's got a new fantasy show over there too. So just, uh, it's, it's a cool deal. You know, go check it out, Locked On Texans. But uh, Houston Sports Talk, if you're liking what we do, just a reminder, go to iTunes, uh, say something nice about us, put a review up there, uh, give us a five-star if you can. Um, we appreciate it. We've been doing this for five years. It's been a weekly show, just a litany of incredible guests over the years. And uh, Margie's stuck by my side for all this time, and we haven't killed each other, which is... Uh, A minor miracle after being friends for 35 years. You never know what's going to happen, or 30 years, I guess, or something like that. But uh, anyway, uh, thanks a lot for uh, listening to us this week. Catch us again next week, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon enough. Thanks again for listening, and if you're new to the show, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, or the TuneIn app. You can keep up with this show and my daily Locked On Texans podcast on Twitter and Facebook, or by going to HoustonSportsTalk.net or LockedOnTexans.com. Locked